heart and soul of a nation, beckons the call. The voice of our forefathers heard in the distance. A house divided against itself cannot stand. To reclaim our honor. honor. Our soul. The challenges of a generation call out. Future generations hang in the balance. We choose liberty. This is the voice of a nation. The nation. The nation. The nation. And now, Malcolm. Well, my heart goes out to millions and millions of not only just Americans here and people in our great country, but folks around the world who are getting a lot of bad information, a lot of a lot of disinformation out there. Uh, and it's hard. People are really struggling to find the right answers. And, you know, in many cases, my friends, these are life and death uh, decisions we're making. And, you know, sometimes we make these decisions on the fly or we make them in a crisis moment. Uh, but they have a lasting uh, impact on our lives. So listen, we see the outpouring coming in here at America Out Loud of folks who are just pleading for information and pleading for the right information. And, and you know, a lot of times so they can make the right decision for their families, them, them, sometimes themselves, uh, their loved ones. Uh, they could be kids going back to college, could be jobs, could be all kinds of things. Uh, people are just looking for some guidance and help and respect uh, so that's our goal here is to deliver the answers. We're getting so many of these coming in that uh, we're doing these Q&As uh, that uh, are very successful and highly listened to with Dr. Peter McCullough. And uh, so I want to get started right in here because we've got so many of these to get to here. Uh, as you know, Dr. Peter McCullough is an academic internist, a cardiologist and epidemiologist from Dallas, Texas. Uh, certainly and surely he's considered among the world's top expert on COVID-19 pandemic response. Uh, we are thrilled to have him here. And Dr. McCullough, or I should say, uh, Mr. Encyclopedia, welcome to the show, sir. Well, thanks for having me. Boy, COVID-19, the Delta outbreak is really keeping us busy, those of us treating patients. Yeah, yeah. well, you are Mr. Encyclopedia. I commented on that last time, how you retain all this and is, is remarkable. I'm sure listeners are uh, bedazzled as much as I am. Let me start here right up front here with Lawrence. Uh, he says, I am a medical student currently in the middle of my third year assigned to Jackson Memorial Hospital in Miami. I want to thank you for all the work that you're doing uh, for humanity. We applaud your courage and appreciate your dedication to our medical profession. My hospital coordinators are mandating that we take the COVID vaccines despite medical allergies or religious exemptions. Although I've documented medical allergies to flu vaccines, I will be facing dismissal from medical school if I do not comply with this COVID vaccination. I have a wife and three small children. I cannot afford to have any adverse reactions. I'm willing to do anything to avoid risking an allergic reaction, even if it means transferring to another medical school in my third year. Any advice regarding COVID vaccine exemption that I can use to plead my case with the medical school would be most helpful. Thank you and God bless. This is an important question. Prior allergic reactions of any type always anticipate a future allergic reaction, particularly with a reactogenic injection. The COVID-19 vaccines are among the most uh, reactogenic or allergic vaccines that we've ever seen. And the numbers are staggering. I'm looking at the, at the data from August 20, uh, 2021. There have already been, the CDC has certified 25,921 severe allergic reactions 
and 5,721 cases of anaphylaxis, which is either fatal or near fatal, and a total of 13,627 deaths. So this uh, person under no circumstances can receive the COVID-19 vaccine. The medical exemption needs to be very strong uh, that in fact, it's extremely likely. Uh, and because not all of these can be predicted ahead of time, uh, we can't take a chance uh, with the COVID-19 vaccine. So full medical exemption. Uh, we also know that the vaccines are failing among healthcare workers and failing really dramatically and this is important uh, to get this back to the administration of the hospital that may not be keeping up on the data. Uh, we were stunned to see a report by Keener and colleagues, New England Journal of Medicine from the University of California at San Diego, demonstrating more vaccinated workers than unvaccinated workers since June are breaking out with COVID-19. So the vaccine is really a bad idea for healthcare workers. It's better to be unvaccinated. So take that back to the administration full medical exemptions and consider full religious exemptions since you know injection in your body will cause harm. Yeah, problem is a lot of uh, outlets and people are not reporting the information you just said. All those stories go by the uh, by the wayside, uh, Dr. McCullough, because they don't want that information out there. Like I said, disinformation, bad information, and sometimes no information out there. Um, all right, let's uh, move on here to Wendy. Um, and uh, she says, I'm a speech language pathologist who works uh, part-time at a, I'm just going to say a medical center. We don't need to say where. Uh, my colleague who is an occupational therapist was approached today by one of the attendant physicians who proceeded to verbally harass her. Now listen to this here. This is crazy. Uh, proceeded to verbally harass her about the vaccine and with the needle in hand. She came towards the colleague saying, now are you ready to get this shot? My colleague asked the doctor to step back. I'm concerned about what to do, how to respond. I feel it's no use to argue with these people. What do you say to Wendy, Dr. McCullough? Any form of harassment in the workplace cannot be tolerated. Uh, that needs an immediate report to the harassment uh, and corporate compliance hotlines. This can be done uh, anonymously. Uh, this is no different than sexual harassment or uh, racial uh, or ethnic uh, harassment. It's no different. Uh, in fact, we have a special laws because the vaccines are genetic forms of therapy, the forms of gene transfer uh, technology. And that's actually in the recent FDA correspondence back to Pfizer and BioNTech, a recognition of this, that they are gene transfer technologies. Once somebody takes an injection, they've actually had a change in their genetic profile. And so, in fact, to discriminate by someone who's taken a genetic injection versus those not, that violates the GINA laws, the Gen Genetic Information Non-Discrimination uh, Disclosure Act. So there are many reasons and laws that um, prohibit vaccine discrimination, report it just like sexual discrimination. Yeah, absolutely. All right, got another one from Jacob here. Uh, now, listen to this. He is a soldier currently deployed in Poland. And he hasn't been really sick, he says, since the end of 2019. I feel strong and I'm in good standing with my unit other than this vax that has caused a division among troops. So for the sake of someone's wallet, I don't want to get the jab. Some of the troops I'm currently with regret getting the shot because they feel as though they are weaker for it and haven't felt the same since then, he's saying. Wow. There is more, however. Please message me back to talk about this. Thank you. A lot of people are saying this. We just have so many to get to. Uh, but, you know, soldiers in the military, they're, they're mandating this, Dr. McCullough. Uh, what about our military troops? What, what, uh, what can they do? 
there's some special considerations for the military, but to support what he's saying, our CDC has certified 17,794 individuals who are now permanently disabled after the vaccine, permanent disability. So what he's mentioning is clearly within the realm of possibility. In military recruits, we know that men under age 30, there are special FDA warnings for myocarditis or heart injury in people this age, and the CDC has certified 5,093 cases of myocarditis or myopericarditis. That's of great concern. In women uh, ages 18 to 48, uh, on the J&J &J vaccine, as well as AstraZeneca vaccine uh, elsewhere, there are special warnings for thrombosis or blood clotting or even bleeding, and the CDC has certified in our data 2,831 cases of low platelet count, 1671 cases of miscarriage, 6,071 uh, uh, cases of uh, heart attack. And so we have uh, in total now uh, 225,000 immediate hospital visits uh, after vaccination. So I'd worry, be worried about the troops uh, being disabled. I think there's special worries. Any of the troops operating special equipment, now others' lives are at stake if they have a sudden cardiac arrhythmia or have a complication from myocarditis or a blood clot in the brain. And I think under no circumstances should our military uh, receive the vaccination by force. If someone is particularly concerned or has a medical problem, they want to take the risks and, of the vaccine, they're certainly welcome to do so. Uh, very importantly, our military should be accounting for who's COVID recovered. If they're going to send in a Delta force somewhere, they should be sending in people who are COVID recovered because they can't get COVID-19 again. The vaccines fail and even vaccinated patients can, or military members can get COVID-19. So COVID recovered are the prime Delta Force candidates and vaccine mandates should be dropped. Am I right to say that the numbers that you're reporting on that you're talking about with with uh, with uh, hospitalizations and death and what have you, these are really just the folks that have reported it. In other words, these are approximate. The numbers really could be much higher. Is that correct? That's true. So when uh, a safety report goes into the CDC in the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Event Reporting System, it is initially given a temporary VAERS number. We know over 80% of these reports are done by doctors or nurses who think the vaccine cost it. So they're not willy-nilly and they're done under the uh, potential uh, threat of imprisonment or fines if they're falsified. So they're very serious reports. And on top of that, Malcolm, the CDC certifies them. They actually make sure that they really happen and they get permanent VAERS numbers. So what I'm giving the listeners today are the permanent CDC certified numbers. These numbers are catastrophic. Uh, they are way beyond the pale. You know, military recruits also get the meningococcal vaccine. Do you know how many of these safety events occur there? Like say death? Zero. Zero. Mm -hmm. A safe vaccine for our military is zero safety events. Not, yeah. not these in the thousands. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad everybody's hearing what we're talking about right now, because as, as Dr. McCullough and I have talked about previously, the standard for some of these things might be 50 uh, historically, but now it seems like all the rules are out the window for this rush to mandate this vaccine and change everybody's life, which has so many people uncomfortable here. Here's a question from Sheila, Dr. McCullough says, uh, can the J&J &J vaccine cause mutation to B cells. My brother-in-law was just diagnosed with hairy cell leukemia. And in reading about it, I saw that in people with HCL, the B cells have undergone a genetic change. He had a physical before he got vaccinated and his WBC was fine, so no sign of disease. He recently had an accident. They found his WBC to be extremely low, which has led to a bone marrow biopsy. And that is how they discovered the HCL. Um, it's asking any connection to the vaccine, do you think? 
There's two papers to um, quote. One is a paper published in the hematology literature saying those who had pre-existing bone marrow problems, including pericell leukemia, uh, could have higher side effect rates and complications with the vaccine, uh, didn't implicate the vaccine in causing the problem. However, there's another paper demonstrating an interaction between the spike protein. Keep in mind the vaccines trick the body into making large quantities and sustained amounts of the spike protein. Uh, there's a paper that has demonstrated that the spike protein interacts with two important cancer genes. One's called BRCA, related to breast cancer and other female uh, uh, organ cancers, as well as the P53 gene, which is the tumor suppressor gene. None of these directly linked to leukemia based on what I know, um, but the, the relationship between spike protein and cancer is there, at least from a basic science perspective. Well, all right, this next one is from Sue Sim, and uh, it's an important one. It says, I wonder if you could uh, assist with getting Dr. McCullough's opinion on Dr. Fleming's position that Novavax is not a safe vaccine since it inserts prions into the human uh, and prions cause disorders like Alzheimer's, for instance. Uh, and so their question this Novavax, which we talked about on the last program, uh, your, your thoughts on what they're asking here. This gets back to the spike protein, the 1200 amino acid spike protein that has about 12 glycosylation sites uh, on it. It does have some code that codes for parts of the HIV virus. This was uh, the protein that was modified in the Wuhan lab. There is concerns that conformational changes in the spike protein could uh, make it uh, basically act like a prion. A prion is something that would cause a neurologic disease over a long period of time, such as mad cow disease. Um, I uh, am not an expert in prion disease, and I'm carefully looking at the literature with respect to spike protein and prion disease, but um, you know, prion disease takes years, if not decades, to develop. And the Novavax vaccine coming out of the clinical trials published in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, looked every bit as good as Pfizer, Moderna. The arm was more sore with Novavax. It's just an injection of the spike protein without any genetic manipulation. And after that, the serious safety events look less. So I am more favorable to Novavax uh, as it comes forward. It's been delayed by the FDA till the fourth quarter of 2021. But however, a vaccine of any type ought to be very limited in use. We're looking we're talking about senior citizens, those at high risk for COVID mortality and nursing home workers, no, really nothing beyond that. Okay, a lot of questions about ivermectin, uh, hydroxychloroquine and medications, um, but there's something to point out to everybody, to listeners right now. Uh, and you're seeing a lot of news reports out there where they're trying to downplay it by calling it horse ivermectin or for animals and why would humans take this and so on and so forth. But yet, am I right to say, Dr. McCullough, this is FDA approved and has been, both, both medications are. So I think I, I just wanna ask you, uh, the media to me seems to be playing a lot of trickery here by downplaying these medications. Specifically, I've been seeing in the news in the last couple of weeks about ivermectin because it's so needed and wanted out there, they're trying to say that this is really animal driven and we shouldn't be taken as humans. Any truths to that? Well, ivermectin uh, is uh, one of the most widely used drugs in the world. Interestingly, ivermectin itself has won the Nobel Prize. You almost, you almost can't wow. ever get that for a drug. Uh, as we sit really? here today, Malcolm, there are 63 supportive studies 
uh, controlled studies of ivermectin, 31 randomized trials that in an aggregate have demonstrated a 72% improvement for early treatment of COVID-19. That's highly statistically significant. So that's a large body of evidence. These studies used human prescription ivermectin, uh, which comes in the United States, it comes in three milligram tablets. And the dosing is either 0 0.2, 0 0.4, or 0.6 milligrams per kilogram. So it's got precise dosing. It is endorsed uh, by uh, the second paper that I published in December of 2020 in reviews in cardiovascular medicine called uh, Sequence Multidrug Therapy for COVID-19. That is in the truthforhealth.org uh, COVID home patient treatment guide, as well as the American Association of Physicians and Surgeons Home Treatment Guide, and strongly supported by the IMATH and MATH Plus protocols by FLCC. So what the listeners can understand is ivermectin is really strongly supported. And any type of attempts to scare patients about ivermectin, I think are really doing public harm. They need to stick with the societies, stick with the recommendations, and take ivermectin as instructed by their doctors safely. Yeah, I wanted folks to hear that. Now, I, I took ivermectin myself, having just uh, recovered from COVID. I was hit pretty hard. Uh, friends, if you've listened to private broadcasts, you know that uh, for the month, my wife was hit double hard as me and almost died from it. We both took ivermectin in early treatment. In fact, uh, Dr. McCullough was a, a help on that and, and, and others. And uh, so I know it's very effective. It absolutely works along with the steroids and the regimen uh, of zinc and, and D and A and all the things that you take to really uh, impact your body. So I just want to put that out there. Uh, one other thing on this, Dr. McCullough, uh, and I just want to get Marsha's comment in here or, or question. She says a lot is being said about, again, horse ivermectin. Again, the public is being brainwashed on this. I just want you all to know that. Uh, since it is close to impossible to get a prescription and it is so expensive, any thoughts on that? Uh, it is more than the HCQ. I know that uh, cost-wise, uh, Dr. McCullough, and of course, a lot of medical doesn't cover it. Uh, but uh, as far as prescriptions go, they can't get those through the telemedicines. Is that correct? For what drug? Ivermectin, ivermectin. No, ivermectin is prescribed by the telemedicine services and, of course, the local doctors. Uh, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons keeps a roster of treating doctors in the United States yeah. that um, are many times multi-state uh, licensed. There's also nurse practitioners and physician assistants. So it clearly can be prescribed by telemedicine. And the cost is uh, differential. Some insurances pick it up, some others, uh, some don't. Uh, one of the things that listeners should look for is look for a neighborhood or compounding pharmacies. They buy ivermectin in very large quantities and then uh, make capsules that can be larger size. So uh, Ethenbridge, which is the largest manufacturer in the United States, they provide three milligram only tablets uh, because it's used safely in children so frequently with scabies. But in the adults uh, for COVID-19, it's used in doses of, let's say, 12, 18, you know, 24, 36, 30 milligrams. And so they, they can make capsules. Compounding pharmacies make capsules. So look for neighborhood pharmacies. You'll get ivermectin at a better cost. And uh, make sure you take it if your doctors prescribe it. Yeah, that is really good information to have right there. I did not know that. That, that is valid. Um, and, uh, you know, when it comes to cost, I mean, I would say to everyone out there, what's more important, your life or a dollar bill? I mean, we have to, this is highly important as life and death decisions. So uh, I think you have to factor all that in there. Uh, here's a question from Victoria. 
she said, I need some truth. Well, I, I would comment on that. She, she came to the right place. <laughs> it's hard to get any truth out there, but I need some truth. Is COVID-19 a virus or a bacterial infection? I ask because truth is not coming from anywhere that I can find. And my sister is very ill, uh, not confirmed yet of COVID-19 and suspects that she has COVID and is treating it with a Z-pack. Your thoughts? So COVID-19 is the illness, and then SARS-CoV-2 is the virus. It is a virus. Uh, it is rarely complicated by a bacterial infection, unlike influenza. When influenza gets serious, it almost always is complicated by a secondary bacterial infection. Uh, COVID-19 is not. There's a small overlap between chlamydia, pneumonia, and mycoplasma in the same patients with COVID-19. And uh, we do use azithromycin in COVID-19 in part because it has a mild antiviral effect, but it also covers those two, what's called a typical organism. So it's not uncommon to have COVID-19 and actually be given azithro or doxycycline as part of a multi-drug regimen. So the advice is get a test, make sure you establish the diagnosis of COVID-19 and then get into a standard treatment protocol. It's gonna take four to six drugs. Uh, it can include azithromycin. Okay, uh, Susan says, Dr. McCullough talked about using a betadine iodine diluted to gargle and to swab the nasal cavity. Uh, I cannot find the dilution ratio anywhere. Also, if you swab your nasal passage, does the iodine need to be diluted or can it you add it to your nasal rinse solution and just rinse daily with that. Thank you. It should be diluted. The dilution ranges are from 1% uh, to 5%. We're really talking about a couple of drops in the bottom of a glass. Uh, fill it up. If the, if the water turns brown, you certainly have enough there. It doesn't take much povidone iodine to kill the virus. And the data suggesting uh, that it kills the virus are really strong. So we're talking about a few drops in a glass of water, swish and spit, gargle twice a day. If you're exposed to COVID-19, what dentists do, they get exposed in the office all the time. They do it four times a day. And then for the nasal, you can actually just dip in the same glass of dilute uh, uh, povidone iodine water up into the nose, or even get just a nasal spray and spray it up there and then kind of snort it out because it turns, uh, you know, turns brown inside your nose. Uh, and the only caveat is don't use it full strength. And if those who are iodine sensitive or allergic don't use it, uh, but this is widely used in Singapore across Asia, it's widely used across uh, dentists. Uh, Paul Gossett, who was on my show, uh, gave an entire instructional uh, interview on this. He's an anti-infective dentist in Chicago. He says that they use this routinely and the American Dental Association supports it for other viral infections like cytomegalovirus and Epstein-Barr virus. So povidone iodine is really now first line. We use it in active uh, treatment of patients to reduce the spread of virus and then for prophylaxis in patients. All right, Laura says, thank you for all you are doing at America Out Loud for this. I have a friend who is strongly considering the antibody therapy treatment after an eight day fight with COVID-19. Can you please tell me where I can find trusted information on the subject? There are uh, finders, there are website finders, and I'll send the link for this where you click on it is from the Department of Health and Human Services to find where the monoclonal antibodies are. Uh, and the lead one is offered by Regeneron. Most major hospitals, most major urgent care centers stock it. It's a matter of calling ahead Make sure you get an infusion time and go in. They can be administered up to 12 days. After that, they probably don't have an effect. I've certainly used it late in the game 
as long as patients still feel bad, still have fevers, muscle aches, and they still have that signs of the viremia, uh, go ahead and get a monoclonal antibody infusion. They're safe, they're effective, and they're pre-purchased by the government. All right, excellent, excellent. And um, uh, let's, let's talk about this. Uh, Lisa asked about a pr uh, prevention protocol. Do you have a COVID prevention protocol? I can't find one on the site and, and would like to have it. Uh, do you, ha you have one, Dr. McCullough? In the uh, COVID home treatment guide, uh, there are some sections on prophylaxis, but just to give the principles, the principles are to use the pelvidone iodine, oral and nasal uh, rinse uh, twice a day. Uh, if not, backup can be uh, uh, dilute sodium hypochlorite or dilute uh, hydrogen peroxide. And then the weakest of all is just regular Listerine in the mouth, but that still has an effect twice a day. Brush and swish and spit. And then there are two accepted medicinal prophylactic approaches. One is hydroxychloroquine once a week, 200 milligrams taken once at, in one day, one day a week, uh, 200 milligrams twice a day for that day. The other is ivermectin, uh, now by the FLCC recommendations, uh, increased to 18 milligrams uh, twice a week. So you can get prophylactic regimens prescribed through flcc.net or through the telemedicine providers. The lead one is myfreedoctor.com. All right, excellent. A lot of these contacts and links also, we are, we are putting resources up on America Out Loud for this and working with Dr. McCullough to bring all that forward and others. And we're gonna have a lot more information coming to everybody on this. So uh, let me get to Thomas here, says in one of Dr. McCullough's recent programs, he mentioned a location to find a doctor to treat COVID. I understood him to say the location was C19 in the United States. I Google this and get lots of COVID hits, but I don't find what he was referring to. Can you help? The place to find the physicians in the roster, that's kept by aapsonline.org. That's the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, aapsonline.org. Any doctors listening to this that are not listed that want to can go there, and there's actually an entry to get the doctor listed so uh, you know Americans can know which doctors are treating COVID-19. Now, C19 is loosely referred to a user group that's an information hub that uh, get, sends out information about three or four times a day with critical links to scientific updates. So uh, that's what C19 is. All right, not to put you on the spot, but this next question, uh, uh, let's see what you think about it. And you might get a little outpouring here from listeners. It's from Jerry and Carla, and it says, can we make an appointment with Dr. McCullough to get a prophylactic treatment? Uh, the, the short answer to that is no. I am in a private practice uh, for cardiology. I also maintain my board certifications in internal medicine. So my, my medical practice is limited to uh, patients in my practice with heart problems. But I advise patients just in generally seeking prophylaxis to use the, the, the big telemedicine services out there. They're listed in the treatment guides we've mentioned, but in brief, they include myfreedoctor.com, uh, FrontlineMDS.com, America Frontline Doctors, and the FLCC.net. There's like four big services and they provide prophylaxis. And the same thing with this, Nancy says, please let me know if you can help me find an MD for a medical exemption. Would that be the same thing? 
Yeah, that list, uh, particularly the uh, AAPS list would be one for medical exemption. But I want everyone listening here. You need to work with your doctors and change the opinion of your doctors. I'm seeing patients give up on their doctors as useless. And that's the reason why they're just going to uh, these backup uh, sources. There's about 500 doctors right now, Malcolm, trying to take care of the whole nation. We got a million doctors sitting on the sideline and half a million nurse practitioners and PAs. We need patients to start kicking some butt with their doctors and demanding service. Yeah. All right. That's really important what Dr. McCullough says right there. And uh, so in other words, don't give up so easy. Keep pushing and with your doctors and others. Uh, again, it's almost like you got to create a tidal wave of and, and really questioning them back and, and pushing them. A lot of them, it, it's really mind boggling because they've just gone along with the pack, as, as we've talked about prior, that's the problem with a lot of what's happened in the medical community right now. Uh, and it's because of the pressure. It's the pressure being put on from the very top, my friends. And that pressure uh, creates a lot of adversity and complexities for people. You know, do they stand out? Do they, you know, do they make a stand on principle? People that are very principled will do that, like Dr. McCullough, for instance, and, and others. They will, they will stand on principle. Uh, what, and you would hope your doctor would do that. If they don't, well, you may want to consider finding another doctor, quite frankly. That leads me to believe I want to, set, I want to tell everybody something else here. Everything we're talking about on the program here, it is vitally important to explain to you. All of this is for educational purposes. Uh, you need to get advice from your doctor. We don't, we're not given medical advice here. It's very, very important to say that because things can be translated incorrectly. Information could be translated incorrectly. We don't want you to think that we're taking the place of your physician. That is not at all the case. So this is educational in nature. Uh, but you want to really get with your own physician and drill down and push hard and, and get the results that you're looking for. It's important to say that. I, I just need to make sure we, we inform everybody on that. Uh, the other thing is, uh, well, as you all hear now, we're doing these Q&As. We're talking uh, today with Dr. Peter McCullough and really trying to get these. Um, that's why I got right into the questions. I got a ton more uh, we're going to get to. And these are, this is vital information. The, the answers uh, Dr. McCullough has given are so, so key important. And people have a lot of questions. And, and we want to help folks out here uh, and give them the education that they need that is not being provided out there. Uh, just before we pause here, I want to remind everybody as well, one of the things we take a lot of pride here in at America Out Loud is our relationship with Healthy Cell. It is an outstanding product. I've been taking it now for over three and a half years. It's a gel formula, so it's not the old vitamins, you know, the old vitamins you took. And of course, the problem with vitamins is they don't get into your system as quickly and rapidly and thoroughly as they need to. That's a real problem. With the gel form, when it's liquid form like that, it gets right into your system. Uh, and that makes a big difference in itself. All of their products are gel form, very easy. You can put it in the water, you can take it it's like a black cherry flavor. It's very good. You can put it in yogurt, whatever you want. But they have a host of pro products like their daily regimen. I mean, this thing is solid and replaces any of the multi things you're taking. Uh, they have REM sleep, helps you to sleep better at night. You've got focus. It helps your brain focus better. And immune super boost, which is, you know, wow. I mean, it's got zinc and A and D and, and, and um, uh, 
uh, the echinacea and all the things that you really need to fight COVID in there. That's a great product as well. Uh, listen, all our listeners here at America Out Loud get 20% off your first order. Just go to healthycell.com forward slash out loud uh, and you get that discount or just click the banner ad back at America Out Loud. We're thrilled with our relationship here uh, with uh, Healthy Shell and want you to benefit uh, from it. And by the way, the, the, um, the main doctor, the founder of Healthy Cell, Dr. Vincent Giampapa, will be joining us on a future show. This is very much going to be a treat just soon here. Uh, we're going to schedule him in the next couple of weeks. And uh, this is gonna, he's a Nobel Prize nominee, by the way, on this product and really a terrific uh, company this is. So I want to mention that to you as well here. Listen, we're going to take a pause, my fellow Americans, and we'll be back with Dr. Peter McCullough. You're listening to The Voice of a Nation. Our global experts are brilliant writers and engaging hosts on a mission of a lifetime. You'll find the latest news and inspiration on the front page of AmericaOutloud.com. You know, Healthy Cell is a terrific lineup of products. They have products that are pill-free, gel pack vitamins, uh, looking for better sleep, focus, and energy. Check out Healthy Cell, the leading innovator in nutritional supplements for cell health. Are you tired of being tired? Healthy Cell has a product that helps REM sleep, helps you fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep supplement. The only sleep supplement that's designed to support all stages of sleep. And boy, is it needed now during all the stress of the COVID-19 pandemic. So go to HealthyCell.com and use the code out loud, all capital letters, out loud for a 20% off your first order of any product from Healthy Cell. I use them every day. I believe in them and you should too. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races. You toss and turn and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM Sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. As we celebrate our five-year anniversary, America Out Loud has expanded its mission through a newly designed website with a host of new contributors. All carry a vibrant message of hope and survival for this country we love. AmericaOutloud.com. Together, we'll secure the future for generations to come. education. We want to get this information out there. So vitally, vitally important. 
uh, by the way, everything else is back at americaroutloud.com. Uh, all of the, in fact, Dr. Peter McCullough's, all his shows and his articles and all that are back there. You can easily access all that information. Uh, I'm happy to help you any way we can. I want to get back to the questions here. And uh, Andrea, Andrea uh, says a friend's uh, father living in Texas is very ill from COVID. Uh, says they are so low he can hardly breathe but refuses to go to the hospital. Where can he turn for help? He did find a doctor who prescribed him antibiotics and a nebulizer, but his son, one of three kids, is afraid he will die if he doesn't get the proper care he needs. His wife also doesn't want him to go to the hospital, but he asked his family to just help him live another day. I really appreciate the information you can share. Dr. McCullough, before you answer that, I was in the same boat as this gentleman with my wife, and, I, and Dr. McCullough knows this. It was a very, very difficult decision. It's There's no more impossible decision to make, my friends, when you're trying to make the decision, do you get your loved one in the hospital, when you know the hospitals do not have a good track record on this, and many, too many are put on ventilators to die and they're not treating COVID properly. And I'm gonna say that because it's accurate. May not be nice, but it is accurate. I was dealing with the same life and death decision, as you know, Dr. McCullough, and it was one of the worst decisions I ever had to make in my life. And I was scared to hell that I wouldn't see my wife again, quite frankly. We were lucky. We were blessed by God Almighty. And she got on the uh, heated high flow and we got through it. But this is a difficult decision for anybody to make, isn't it? It sure is. And in this case, again, the, the, the whole premise of the question is life and death. You really have to be working with your doctor, uh, working with the local hospital and making the decision when you think you can't um, manage any more at home. Uh, there is one resource if you can uh, get a consultation quickly, and that's the Frontline Critical Care Consortium, flcc.net. Uh, they do have uh, message systems and, and phone lines if you want a consultation. But at this level, I, I mean, the idea here is, you know, we can't give medical advice for a life and death situation in a home with no information. Uh, you really have to use your judgment with your doctors guiding you. But I like that resource you put out, flcc.net. That's good. We need to get that out there. Then that's, it sounds like that could be a great resource. So, um, all right. Paul says, Doc, my 41-year-old daughter and her husband took the Pfizer jab about six months ago. They have four children, ages between one and 16. Wow. I'm afraid my daughter and her husband will die from the killer jab. I'm also uncertain of the dangers involved from shedding. I assume our children have been shed on. Is this also a death sentence for the kids? I'm afraid to adopt them if they might infect my nine-year-old son here in Hawaii and my 34-year-old wife. Any advice or studies on shedding that might help me understand would be greatly appreciated. Thank you for doing God's work. We appreciate you. You know, despite our great concern for the 545,000 Americans that have been injured by the vaccine, there have been roughly 168 million Americans, uh, including my family members who have taken the vaccine and they're perfectly fine. So as we uh, manage the situation right now, what I tell my patients is that, listen, if they've taken the vaccine and they've had no side effects and they're six months uh, afterwards, that we, we wish them the best. We hope there's some immunity there. I don't think we should erase any alarm. There's nothing to suggest shedding uh, that far after the vaccination. And let's just see how things move forward in terms of uh, medical progress and whether or not uh, the vaccines work or, or don't work. Follow closely the rates of vaccine failure. And I'd point you to a paper by Haver and colleagues published from the COVID-Net 
consortium and the CDC, where they've demonstrated that 23.6% of COVID-19 hospitalizations in June were among the vaccinated. And we anticipate in July and August, those numbers will climb. So the message I have back to the listener is, it looks like the COVID vaccines don't work completely for everyone. So be on your guard for COVID-19. And uh, uh, the, the uh, window for severe side effects is long gone. See, that's why people appreciate you so much, Dr. McCullough, because you're, you're honest, you put it out there, but you look at both sides of the argument, the debate, if you will. Not everybody does that, but you just did that so eloquently in your answer there, because you're not anti-vax. In fact, it really has infuriated me because I've seen headlines out there that have referred to you as an anti-vax doctor out of Dallas. I'm like, wow, wow, wow. And of course, that's such a lie. It's a bull-faced lie. You're not anti-vax. You've never been anti-vax in your life. Is that correct? That's true. I just had two vaccines this year. Um, I went to India a few years ago. I took all the vaccines. I'm up to date on all the vaccines that are indicated for me. And so are my kids and so are my family members. And I've, as I've mentioned, I've had family members who have taken the COVID-19 vaccine because they are in these risk categories and it's all based on risks and benefits. So yeah. no, of course I'm not anti-vax. I recommend vaccines as any other doctor does. 98% of Americans, Malcolm, take vaccines. So this idea of trying to label someone anti-vax is just another form of slander and discrimination. Yeah. Risk versus benefits, risk versus benefits. Remember that friends and educate yourself to make the right decision, please. All right, Maddie says, I have an eight-year-old with COVID, an eight-year-old got it well. She got it from me even with taking precautions. What can I do for her? She has headaches and body aches and fever. Uh, she takes Ollie Kids Multi and a probiotic each day, but it doesn't have a lot of vitamin C, D, or zinc. What did I say just moments ago here? Any advice would be greatly appreciated, Dr. McCullough. In general, children that age, COVID is milder than a cold. The last child I saw with COVID, uh, just honestly, just a few days ago, while I was making a house call uh, for the parent, uh, the child was about three years old, and honestly, it was over within a day and a half. So I anticipate for most children, it's going to be like a case of the sniffles. If severe symptoms do develop, severe cough, uh, difficulty breathing, then uh, inhaled uh, st steroids, uh, budesonide, oral prednisone, a short course of oral aspirin, azithromycin, they all can be used to help this become a very minimal illness at home. But the vast majority of children need no treatment, just simply um, supportive care. In a few days, it'll be over with. Yeah, that's exactly it. My, my two teenagers, uh, 17, 18, got it as well, and they had very minor symptoms, I mean, and they, they got through it just fine. Uh, it impacts a lot of us that are at a different age bracket. Uh, I have to admit to you all, in full disclosure, I'm no longer 18, so I would fall into the other bracket. I'm not going to tell you what bracket, but it's just a different bracket. <laughs> so, all right, Tammy uh, says, uh, she questions, where can I get info on preventive care if my 31-week pregnant daughter gets COVID. She's trying to think ahead here. Appreciate all you do. We are in California. Not a lot of medical profession support regarding any of this uh, that we are aware of. Can you help? Well, I'd uh, point the listener to a recent paper published in Annals of Internal Medicine, which is really encouraging. And it looked at the outcomes of pregnant women who had symptomatic COVID-19 versus women who are not pregnant uh, at the same age. And the answer is pregnant women actually have an easier time with COVID-19 
than non-pregnant women. And in general, they're young and the vast majority of pregnant women need no treatment whatsoever. It's just like children, we, they just are supportive care. If there is severe symptoms, pregnant women can be treated with hydroxychloroquine, which is proven to be safe in pregnancy. We do it with systemic lupus and rheumatoid arthritis anyway. So you know, hydroxychloroquine in pregnancy, perfectly fine. We can use prednisone, aspirin, inhaled budesonide, as well as uh, blood thinners if we need to. So pregnant women can always be treated. There should be no pregnant woman who's in the hospital on a ventilator. They should all get early treatment if they have severe symptoms. But pregnant women with mild symptoms or those who just test positive uh, simply just need uh, to, to kind of get through that period of time without any special intervention. We have multiple programs and Dr. McCullough has addressed this on, on his program quite a bit on pregnancy and vaccines and, and why you shouldn't. Uh, so you, you want to look some of that up there. Uh, listen, we are on a roll here. We're talking with Dr. Peter McCullough, and uh, we're uh, really trying to really get as many of these questions answered. We have so many that the outpouring of love and support uh, on uh, coming into America Out Loud is beyond anything I could ever have uh, imagined. Uh, but we want to help as many people and help educate folks. That's what this is. This is an educational conversation, uh, but you want to really take matters into your own hands with your doctors, hospitals, and those around you. It's vitally important. All right, Maggie says, I have a simple question, but an important one. How come some people get zero reaction or, or side effects after the vaccine but some get quite serious ones. What is the deciding factor about this? That is a great question. Uh, many wonder that uh, as well. Uh, in general, older people uh, who you seem to tolerate the injections pretty well and the younger people tend to be what's called more reactogenic. Having said that, of the fatalities, the majority of the fatalities that happen, I do happen in the uh, ultra elderly with the vaccine, uh, what we know is clearly those who have uh, a history of more allergies, allergic reactions, they're going to have more of a problem. And uh, those who have had uh, previously had COVID-19, so COVID recovered patients who really don't need the vaccine because you can't get it a second time, but if they take it out of fear or intimidation or mandates, they're much more, more likely to have a bad time. But our CDC and FDA should have been giving us uh, guiding safety reports since easily January, February. And they've been mum on this. All these answers should be given to us by the CDC and FDA. They hold all the data. They can tell us who can take the vaccine without problems, and they can tell us who can take the vaccine and have catastrophic problems. They hold the data right now. I think America should be outraged that it's not a CDC officer uh, giving these reports on a weekly or monthly basis. And that's been the problem right along. We're not getting that information from the agencies that are supposed to be respected and providing this information. And, and there's nothing but a vacuum there. It doesn't exist. Um, this next one, Dr. McCullough, I, I think I, I want to add something to this, but let me say Marie, first of all, let me give her a question. She said, I would like any peer reviewed papers that I can print out and show my doctor enough research that puts doubt around the efficacy of all vaccines that I am better to trust my own immune system. Now, I've got a lot of requesting for that, for those peer reviewed papers and stuff. Now, do you have, and we could put some of those links up on the front page on the platform, which we've been asked to do. Uh, can you comment on that? Yeah, so there are ample data suggesting the vaccines are failing. 
And you really don't have to leave the CDC website to find them. Hmm. Uh, one is by Barnstable, the Barnstable Breakout, MMWR, on the CDC website, CDC Vaccine Failures, August 23rd, CDC Vaccine Failures, July 26th, uh, the Chow paper from Lancet, uh, vaccines failing in healthcare workers contaminating each other with Delta. Havers, the paper I just mentioned, vaccinated patients uh, landing in the hospital with COVID-19. Hedda Makey from Finland, another healthcare worker breakout, all vaccinated, passing COVID to one another. The Keener paper just published in New England Journal of Medicine, uh, University of California, San Diego, healthcare workers uh, getting more Delta the vaccinated getting more, more Delta than the unvaccinated. Uh, and then um, there's an analysis from Australia, country by country analysis showing the vaccines are failing. So that, you know, the vaccines are in free fall right now. They don't work. They don't cover Delta. Uh, there's am, uh, ample information. We're happy to provide links or just provide you the manuscripts and, 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 and take it over from there. But there is a false narrative out there that the vaccines are effective. And when, when an official gets on TV and says the vaccines are effective, Without proving it, Americans should say, listen, prove it. And what the FDA did on August 23rd is they used legacy data. They used data from the alpha variant. The alpha variant's long gone, um, but they used data from alpha variant to say the vaccines still work. They need to be working in Delta. We are 83% or more Delta in the United States. Some departments of community health in Texas say we're at 100% Delta. So this idea that we can rely on the, the vaccine, the, the virus has changed. We can't... Um, we can't uh, uh, rely on uh, legacy data to mm. claim something's effective when it's not. It no longer works. Right. Very good. Uh, Hannah says, I am a senior nursing major who is being told I cannot finish my nursing program without getting the vaccine. I'm at a loss. I need help. Please help me. I tried to apply for a religious exemption and got denied. I have specific career aspirations and I am so upset by this. I've worked so hard just to have, just to have to quit or get an experimental vaccine. Uh, your thoughts? Again, a lot of people like this, Dr. McCullough. Well, most women who are nursing students are women of childbearing age. Now the FDA, uh, Pfizer, Moderna, and Johnson & Johnson felt women of childbearing age should not receive the vaccine. That's the reason why they were excluded from randomized trials, because we don't know if the vaccine uh, damages fertility or causes birth defects or impairs with conception or with the baby. So under no circumstances should she receive the vaccine and the FDA agrees. Now, since the school did not give her due process and they didn't give her her religious exemption, now she needs to file a letter of intent to sue or contact Liberty Council and have them uh, put in a letter. We've seen some of these um, ill-advised uh, uh, lack of due process uh, um, uh, um, denials of exemption be turned around instantly as soon as that office knows that there's some legal action coming uh, forward. No one can uh, be told that their religious their religious views are uh, not valid. No one can be told that. And Liberty Council is a great defense. Mm, yeah, these uh, these councils that uh, Dr. McCullough has been talking about uh, are terrific information for you all to have to fight back. Again, educate yourself and then fight back uh, for your truth. That's what you got to do. Uh, this next one is, I think, a, a real important question and one that is right in your wheelhouse here. It's from Deborah. And, and she says, was wondering if you have advice to counteract the negative effects of the COVID vaccine. In other words, they have got negative effects of the vaccine. Listen to this. My dad got it and he has heart inflammation now. What do you say to that? 
The heart inflammation is really worrisome and the FDA is warning us against it. The FDA has a warning that says, warning, warning, Pfizer and Moderna cause heart inflammation. The CDC is warning us on the VAR site saying that there are um, now 5,093 cases just like this person that's mentioned. So this person needs to see a cardiologist now, needs to have serial EKG, uh, blood troponin levels, echocardiograms, may need medication to prevent the development of heart failure. And let's keep uh, our hopes up that heart failure doesn't develop and that the myocarditis is transient and will go away on its own. I'm managing these patients in my clinic. I can tell you they're difficult. I'm, I'm alarmed that um, people are still coming forward for the vaccine with these really strict FDA warnings. Mm -hmm. This next one is from an MD. And again, I just use first names from Jennifer. She said, I'm a practicing physician who fully supports early treatment for COVID. And I've been providing treatment to patients in my community. Recently, I've had a couple of pharmacies refuse to fill ivermectin because it is not FDA approved to treat COVID, they say. Has Dr. McCullough run into this problem? How do we provide early treatment when pharmacies refuse to dispense the treatment? Thank you so much for the insight. Patients and uh, doctors need to demand pharmacies to do their job, and there may be a way of reporting them to the pharmacy board. Uh, but if we had an asthmatic and they needed a life-saving dose of uh, prednisone or, uh, or another drug, you know, the vast majority of drugs that we use in medicine are not FDA advertising approved for that indication. FDA approval is an advertising label, okay? So, um, uh, for instance, we use prednisone uh, commonly in COVID-19. We use aspirin. We use Lovenox. We use colchicine. None of those have FDA approvals. And even the monoclonal antibodies don't have a full FDA approval. They have emergency use authorization. So there are no FDA approved treatments for COVID-19, yet we have to treat it. And we use appropriately chosen, medically indicated, clinically necessary, off-label use of drugs. And the FDA and others agree with that as we treat conditions. And as a cardiologist and internist, I use off-label drugs all the time because there aren't advertising labels to cover all the different uses of drugs. All right, this next one, uh, I'm actually hearing a lot of uh, questions like this one. So this probably help a lot of people. My husband and I are unvaccinated and ages 61 and 62. We want to be prepared. See, a lot of people want to be prepared. If we were to get COVID, we are close with our family and six grandkids. Is it possible to get medication from you now to have on hand? We're taking vitamins uh, and um, uh, please help us be prepared at home as we do not ever want to have to go into the hospital. We don't trust their care. What do you say to these folks who want to be prepared and they, uh, you know, in advance of possibly getting COVID? Sure, people want uh, a treatment kit. And in the paper I published uh, in Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine in 2020, the Sequence Multidrug Therapy <clears throat> paper, we had a table that was made by one of the authors, Salit Rios from Brazil, did a wonderful job. She listed 30 countries that actually have these treatment kits. And some of them are just south of us of Texas and Florida, to tell you the truth, in the uh, Central America. So treatment kits are a wise idea. Uh, what the listener can do is go to uh, uh, the AAPS online or Truth for Health org, uh, organization, truthforhealth.org, get the home treatment guide and get the uh, materials that are in what's called the nutraceutical bundle. That's a very good start. So get the nutraceuticals, 
Also use the povidone iodine that we talked about in terms of oral nasal prophylaxis. And then for medicinal to be ready on the medicinal side, then the telemedicine networks can help. And again, the lead ones are myfreedoctor.com and frontlinecriticalcareconsortium.net. They will likely just do the prophylactic regimens because we cannot prescribe full loads of medicine for people who don't have the illness that you'd be asking a doctor to prescribe outside the scope of practice. Okay, uh, so last couple here, uh, Sean says, I recently heard Dr. McCullough say that it is common to test positive for COVID-19 for many days after you have already recovered. This is a scary situation for me since I will be traveling to Europe soon. And I know that if I do test positive, I'll be forced to quarantine until I show a negative test. If positive results from the test could come back for days afterwards, I could be stuck longer than I need to be. And they're asking for advice, but how do you give advice on something like that? Well, he's right. Um, we know now with the nasal PCR, it can be intermittently positive for months afterwards. So if one has COVID-19, then has to travel, you really should demand the antigen test, an oral or nasal antigen test, which is less, le much less likely to be uh, false positive. So when you, when you are traveling, a lot of times they ask you just for a negative test. They don't specify what type of test, demand the antigen test. Okay, well, that's great. I wouldn't have guessed that's good, good uh, insight to have there. All right, Martin says, and, and I'm actually seeing this a lot too, and I don't know if you uh, can uh, do this or not, but it says, while watching one of your speeches at a school, I believe you displayed several slides supporting your, and again, here's where they say anti-vax position, which is not really accurate, but, but okay. Uh, could you let me know where I could get those images to use in trying to convince many friends and others to avoid this poison? And I see a lot of people asking for these slides and things. Is that something we should make available? Yeah, I'm happy to. I gave a brief presentation where it's a very brief, I think it's about 18 slides on um, vaccine safety update, as well as uh, early treatment. And I can make those available. In fact, I need, probably should need to update them with a couple of figures, including one that just came up on the CDC website during our presentation today. We, we are now at 99% Delta in the United States, according wow. to so, so this is the first time we've had a super dominant strain. And the reason being is the mass vaccination has promoted the super dominant Delta. Isn't that something? So that really caused health course the problem, huh? That is, there's no doubt about it. Vaccination now has created a super dominant uh, infection. But that's remarkable, Dr. McCullough, but nobody's talking about that. Well, I'll tell you, the colored graph is, is extraordinary. If you go on cdc.gov, go to variants and take a look. We used to always have a blend of variants mm -hmm. because we weren't provoking the, the, the virus. Now we're provoking it with a vaccine and the variant that can get past the vaccines becomes the dominant variant. That's obvious. That's what's happened. Wow, that's that's uh, unbelievable. I see us doing something more on that just ahead to get that information out there. Uh, when you update the slides, if you'll get them uh, to us, we will absolutely make them available on the platform and let folks know about that. Uh, again, uh, this is uh, another Q&A here. We're speaking with Dr. Peter McCullough. Uh, now, again, all of his articles are back at America Out Loud. Just go and look for his name under team and the nav bar or his shows under shows. Just look for the McCullough report. You'll hear his program every Saturday and Sunday at 2 p.m. Eastern time, but here at anywhere in the world on America Out Loud Talk Radio on the iHeart Radio Network, or you can get our apps for free, Apple, Android, Alexa. All those links are back at America Out Loud, my friends. Uh, also, there's a 7 p.m. Uh, encore 
And all of the shows go to podcasts at the beginning of the week. You'll catch that uh, on podcast as well. Uh, we are so appreciative of Dr. Peter McCullough to take the time to answer all these questions. There are so many. I don't know we, 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 where we tip over to the other side, but we, we can't keep up with them all. Um, but we thank you, uh, my friends. And again, remember, educational purposes, educate yourself and then make the decision that's best for you. We can't give actual medical advice here. No would we uh, without knowing all the details of your personal situation so make sure you you understand that and and get the valid information out there uh thank you again for being on the mission here it's time uh, to get involved and get loud